Atlas Box. Padilt does well. Pretorius, JC Pretorius! Two players on in, one-handed flag! Pretorius delivers and shakes on his wapi! Says thank you very much! A player donkey in Afrikaans! And I think Coach Neil did say that um, it's not always a fairy tale. And it wasn't, and it, it wasn't the ending that he would have wanted. It wasn't the ending that we we would have hoped for as well. But I think to send him off in that way was pretty special. And, and I think that's that's the last game you always remember and that, that a lot of people remember as well. Just in that huddle, he was just grateful to be part of something special, something bigger than himself. And uh, uh, so grateful to to be able to stand in a huddle and have brothers around him that week in and week out, day in and day out, strive for the same goal. Hi, I'm Sheikh Soizwapi. Welcome to the Rugby Hive. He's so dangerous, Freddy Krueger has nightmares about him. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Hive. I'm Dan Stanford and despite my South African accent, I was fortunate enough to play rugby for the United States on the Sevens World Series. And I'm Robin McDowell, a former Canadian Sevens International. Back in my playing days, I went head-to-head -head against Dallin in the USA. For several years, Robin has coached International Sevens for various countries, including Canada and Mexico. He's massively passionate about growing the game across the Americas through his McDowell rugby programs at all levels. I'm currently a commentator for World Rugby, most recently broadcasting the Rugby World Cup in Japan, as well as the amazing Sevens World Series. More than a decade later, we are teaming up to bring you insights from legendary players and coaches from around the world. All legends have a story. The Rugby Hive podcast is here to share it. Welcome to the Hive. Oh, it's more dangerous than climate change. Hello and welcome to season three of the Rugby Hive. What began as a couple of podcasts having a chinwag has developed into something we thoroughly enjoy, which is talking about legendary rugby players and coaches from around the world. Firstly, we want to thank you, the listeners, for being out there. All three of you are very special to us. We hope you've enjoyed the journey as much as we have. Season one, it was action-packed with 24 brilliant guests. And then the world opened up again, and we interviewed just six legends on season two. But some of those included Blitzbox Sensation Settle Africa, Canadians Dave Moonlight and John Moonlight, the then Germany Sevens coach, Jamie McGraw, who's currently with Kenya, two commentary friends of mine, Sean Holly from Wales and Aussie Andrew Swain, and then King Giri Tuwai, the Fijian two-time Olympian gold medalist and recent Rugby World Cup Sevens winner, was our final episode for that season. And Robs, it has been brilliant. We've got so many guests coming up for season three. But let's look back. Season two, what have you enjoyed, my friend? How have things gone on your side? Yeah, I really enjoyed season two. Uh, it's amazing that we're kicking off season three. Again, you know, just us planting the seed. One of the positives come out of the pandemic and... You know, our real real vision about the hive is that it becomes bigger than us. It's this neutral, positive ground, uh, Canada, U.S., and now it's kind of global. Got uh, legendary Ben Gollings involved, the England Seven sensation that's now obviously in Fiji, based out of Australia, and uh, Mike Friday's made a number of cameos, obviously the USA Olympic Sevens coach. Uh, we got the Gaz, Karen Gazbrino, who... Uh, who puts that pen to paper as writing some brilliant stories over the last two seasons. And we've even added Maxine O'Leary, our, our marketing guru that's uh, been keeping everything professional. So the family's growing. And uh, even outside of that, uh, there's been a number of different people that obviously have been guests on our show that 
that have brought us closer and uh and hopefully just you know the background you know what i love is is some a bit of background for you as well as as you get to commentate them now that the world's back rolling yeah, Rob, firstly, you've been so great about putting this brilliant team together. It's been amazing because the first season, we never got to see each other face-to-face because of the pandemic and everything. But then we our travels the last two years have been brilliant to see each other at all these different events. And again, we were such a good crew. I also want to shout out our Sensational Partners. They've been instrumental in keeping us going as well. World Rugby Shop is the first one. They produce that sleek clothing range and merch for us. WorldRugbyShop.com, of course, is the website. Just search Rugby Hive. Folks, go wild, add stuff to the cart. We don't care. Click purchase, get it done, New Zula Warriors. Then Gilbert Rugby Canada, they also have the Rugby Hive branded ball, a bunch of other superb items. Please go to gilbertrugbycanada.com for more. Enduro Sport, another great partner. The premium daily supplement keeps you focused, hydrated, energized for hours. You can get 40% off at rugbyhive.endurosportofficial.com. And then we have... Not one, but two Biltong partners. That's because Rob's and myself love to munch on this brilliant stuff. It's Brews Biltong. We featured on our socials recently is our American partner. You can get some of their delicious Biltong and Drobos at brewsbiltong.com. And then north of the border, Canada Biltong is amazing. Check out their products online at canadabiltong.com. And then a massive shout out to the Rugby Network for featuring our episodes on their fantastic platform. Also, if you want to partner with us, don't forget to send us a message on social media or hit up Robin and myself on the social. Don't be scared. It's not Halloween yet. And then lastly, I want to mention Myoderm CBD products. Those are for pain and recovery. Plus, they make facial products as well. They send me a sample pack. Rob's, yours got lost in the mail. Of course, the Canadian address in the woods was not available, but they have some quality items. Very impressed with them. So folks can visit them at myoderm.com. All right, Rob, so I want to switch gears. Let's look back at the year 2022. Give us some of your favorite moments and highlights in the rugby space. Honestly, it's been one of the best years of my life involved with the sport. Obviously getting married, I think about a, you know, a year ago. Got to go to Portugal last year at the 10s. Kicking off the Premier 7s, which has been the highlight of my coaching journey. Yeah, and, that, and seeing that league blossom. And then again, you know, obviously getting to see you last year in Memphis. Getting to work with the Loonies, Kelly Griffin, the legend who will be featured here in the coming weeks. And uh, yeah, just lots of travel. Spending a lot of time in, in the USA in the last 12 months. Seeing you at multiple Premier 7 stops, multiple World Series in Canada and the U.S., just doing what I love all over, all over the world and getting to, you know, make our rugby world a little bit smaller. And, uh, you know, obviously having been on, you know, joined the team and in the time that he joined the team, you know, we talked him into quitting his real job, as I say, and uh, pursue his dream, which is coaching on the World Series. Him landing Fiji and, and culminating, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago with uh, winning the World Cup, just what that meant to him and his young family. As you said, his 35 kids celebrating there in Fiji last week uh, was pretty special. And uh, and then for me, my my academy day to day, you know, I got so many future Hive legends uh, coming out of here from uh, across the world and uh, just thankful it's still uh, it's still mid July here on Vancouver Island in, in early October. The weather's still hot, still shiny and uh, just on the field. But uh, how, how about that side for you? Yeah, Rob, you're the busiest guy I know. Seriously, you're everywhere doing a million different things, wearing different hats. Also, like you, man, been so busy. It's been been awesome. The Rugby World Cup Sevens, which you mentioned, uh, it was so great to catch up with Ben there in person uh, in Cape Town, in my hometown. That was probably you know one of the most special events for me in recent times to go back and see friends and things like that. You know, with the Seven Series, has kept me super busy. First time I ever got a chance to go to stops in Spain, Malaga and Sevilla earlier this year, and then to lose in France. That was sensational. Vancouver was awesome as always. Good to see you and everybody else, the crew, and then the finale in LA with four teams able to win the series. It just makes it super exciting being part of that. 
Major League Rugby has kept me on my toes, that's for sure. We had such a busy season. Got a chance to call the final at Red Bull Arena near New York. That was aired on national television on Fox Sports, which is great to see the game growing on that platform. Premier Sevens, as you mentioned, so many epic events. Three of them, I got a chance to do the Austin event in San Jose. So much fun. I love what they're doing. Can't wait for next year. It's going to be brilliant to see what they got up their sleeve. And then also the Crossover Academy, the American Raptors. Got to see them in the Challenge Cup, call a few of their games, plus the famous Rugby Town Sevens. We've you scored some great tries and coached some great teams over the years. So that's always one of my favorite stops as well there, you know. Uh, but the year's not done yet, hey, Rob? So what else have you got in store to finish things up for this year? Well, just got back from a tournament with my Academy boys last weekend, which was super exciting. And uh, Paul Bennett, the, the king of built on Canada, his superstar son, who actually just got nominated like top back in British Columbia this past week and was on fire. So that was a lot of fun, but I got some family time the rest of the month with my wife going out to the West Coast, doing some fall surfing in the ice cold North Pacific uh, Ocean. And then uh, back on the road to Mexico City, where I've spent uh, many, many years uh, coaching Mexico. So I'll be down for the Rand Super 7s, helping uh, support the Trudeau and Tobago team and, and just overall supporting the region. And then home for a few weeks. And then I'm actually uh, getting an opportunity to work with uh, Canadian legend Adam Roberts. Going to be coaching with him, the the BCU18 boys team at the World Schools Games in uh, Auckland, New Zealand. And I haven't been back to Auckland since the Wellington Sevens in 2007. So uh, I'm super excited. And uh, whenever I can be involved with the sport from a pathway aspect uh, with my region and and uh, whether it be Premier Sevens or within the pathway within my own country is uh, super exciting there. And uh, also been involved with uh, doing some talent ID with uh, USA. The, I've kind of started this Golden Eagle uh, program with Bidewell to find and unearth some talent for the 2028 Olympics. It's a little like kissing your sister, but uh, at the end of the day, I'm loyal to uh, talented athletes and and their dreams and uh, being a part of so many different countries at once uh, really uh, makes my heart full and uh, and keeps me neutral, just like the hive. How about you? You're heading out to uh, finally get accommodated the famous Hong Kong sevens. How exciting is that? Yes, pal. Similar to you, you know, the last time I was in like Hong Kong was 07, 08, 09, that kind of time period. It's been a long, long time coming. So very excited to head out there and kick off the HSBC World Rugby 7 Series. But so great to hear about your trip to New Zealand. That's going to be brilliant. And then, of course, you know, the talent ID shirts for the USA, but also you're growing rugby in Canada. So anybody in North America knows how much you're doing for the game, which is cool. And then Rob's, yeah, I actually have a cool job at the moment. I'm going to do three or four games in the Rugby Europe Super Cup. So it's great because it's remote commentary. So finally, I can get a call some games from from home. So as long as Verity is not smashing a few uh, few jars behind me, it should, <laughs> should go pretty well. The competition it's in their second year. They've got seven countries taking part in Europe, and so it'd be pretty cool to to kick that off. And then um, I was going to do the Cape Town and Dubai, but Verity myself actually moving back to California, which is really exciting, just in time for the winter to kick off here in New England. We've had a lovely time here, but I think it's time for us to get back there to the beaches and uh, some sunny weather as well coming up for the winter. So we've uh, obviously loved our time here working with the New England Free Jacks and being on the East Coast. Uh, we'll definitely be back to visit family and friends and that sort of thing, you know. So, uh, But Rob, season three kicks off shortly. Let's get to our guest, the brilliant South African Sevens captain, Sabiwe Soy's Wapi, the man known as Shakes, an inspiration for the Rainbow Nation, a class act, wouldn't you say so? You know, him and Cecil, like uh, that we got an interview here in the recent months, just, yeah, pure class. And, you know, there's a reason why 
the Blitz box and Spring box are are so successful in both codes. And then a credit to Neil Powell, who just obviously retired. Uh, the, the amount of respect that Zoizwapi or Shakes shares in this episode is going to be missed. You know, I think the culture that that coach has led for so many years just shines through his captain in this episode. And again, it's that dream, believe, succeed. And, uh, you know, every legend has a story and it was exciting for Shakes to share it with the world. So uh, he's just a very humble guy and also loved just hearing his endearing stories about his father coaching him in, in soccer and, and just, just growing up as a small town kid. So he's really inspirational. Yeah, he's so great. We had to we had to wait a couple of hours because of load shedding. The power was out in South Africa, but it finally came on. Shakes with a flashlight entered his home and he finally recorded the episode there. So uh, we hope you enjoyed this one. Make sure you connect on our socials at Rugby Hive on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube at My Rugby Hive on Instagram and our website, rugbyhive.com. Please keep safe out there and we appreciate all the support. It's time now for season three, episode 31. Sia Colisi leads the Springboks and Saviva Soiswapi leads the Blitzbox, the man known as Shakes. We had load shedding on the go, but nothing can stop us joining the Rugby Hive. Shakes, welcome, my friend. Adam, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, it's a lot happening in South Africa with load shedding, but I'm really happy I can be on the show. Uh, it's so good. It's been a long time coming. I know we always get our photo at the 7 Series, particularly when you're lifting a cup title. I always jump in there with a little selfie with you, my friend. Now, listen, Robin's a speed merchant, Canada 7 sensation. We want to know, what is your 100-meter speed, your best 100-meter speed? Yes, it actually wasn't as fast as uh, one would think. I know I play out on the wing there, but um, I think I wasn't even doing any athletics at school. I was... I was more into rugby and uh, we did athletics as rugby players just to keep our fitness yeah. uh, during the off season. And back then in 2011, it was a 10.95. Wow. 10.95. That's quick. That's quick. And that's 2011 before you trained with a blitz box and did all that stuff. Well, Robin's time's 15.95. So you've got him at least by a few seconds. I, I'm just under 20 seconds. So we're, 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 we're thereabouts. We're close. Um, no way. <laughs> exactly. The last blitz box we had here was another elusive player as well. Cecil Africa, the points machine. He was retired back then. Obviously, he came back in recent times and he joined you and your side for the Rugby World Cup Sevens. Uh, what, what was it like having the bloody legend himself back in the fold? Yes, it was, uh, it was something special. I must say we never expected it as a team. I mean, we went the whole season without even um, having him throw a line out with the team or anything. So it was just such a surprise. But I mean, who could have said no to have such a legend back uh, in the frame? And I mean, Cecil, he, brought, he brings so much experience to the side. He's played for so many years, still going. And um, the way he reads the game, always being two steps ahead of play and the vision that he has, yeah, it was special. And a lot of, a lot of people don't know uh, the person that he is in terms of how hilarious he is and the energy he brings to the team. He, he was the oldest guy in the World Cup for our squad. But um, yes, you would think he was a youngster amongst the group, keeping us all young there. So that's what he brings to the squad. And um, yeah, absolute legend of a player. Oh, brilliant. So it was so great to see, you know, the hair flying everywhere, of course, as well. And then, Shakes, another first question I want to start with you, though, is how did you get your nickname? Tell us that story. <laughs> so in South Africa, I know everyone's listening from around the world. So in South Africa, there was a, 
a uh, show growing up. It was called Super Strikers. Dylan, you might know about it. You're South African. And um, they also had a comic book at the engine garages that uh, are at, in South Africa. So one of the newspapers came with that comic book. My old man always used to get that uh, comic, that newspaper and I get the comic book. So he used to coach soccer and I thought I would play soccer as well. The comic is about a football team and the star player is Shakes. So every time we used to go and uh, go when he went to play his games and coach, I would travel with, he reads the newspaper, I get the comic book, I read all about Shakes and I want to be Shakes. And then the whole team started calling me Shakes and that's where the name comes from. I've had it basically all my life. I think I was, your know, early days, seven, eight, nine, around that time when I was still, when we were still up and down while he was still coaching. So, um, yeah, that's that's how it came about. I love that story. That's so great. And it's rare to keep a nickname from such a young age, uh, but now it's it's gone global. So it's brilliant. Yeah, it's stuck with me. The king of the shake and bake. Well, we're thrilled to have you on. For me as a coach, constantly trying to inspire athletes to to stay in sport and and to fall in love with rugby, especially in in North America. You know, they, they don't know what the World Series is. They don't know how amazing rugby is. So we're all crossover athletes in in uh, in Canada and the U.S. And but I know a lot of a lot of athletes from around the world are as well. So just like to know, like, where did you grow up? What sports did you enjoy outside of soccer as a kid? And what was your childhood like? No, I think I think that's important to get um, as much Americans into the game. And I love to see how the game is growing uh, on that side as well. For me, I'm from a small town called McClear. It's in the Eastern Cape. If you know South Africa, you know there's nine provinces and um, McClear is more is more uh, towards the, let's call it the rural side of, of, of South Africa. And it's in the Eastern Cape, quite a small province as well. Yeah, it's just a farm town close to the border of KZN and uh, the Eastern Cape. I grew up there on the little farm town from grade one to grade um, six. I was in the primary school there and then seven to 12. I moved to a boys rugby school in King Williamstown, which is also in the Eastern Cape, um, which is uh, more coastal and close to East London. Yeah, I played I played soccer before I even started school. And um, when I got to school, I just played rugby as an extramural just to stay out of trouble. And then moving to Dale, that's when the... The rugby bug bit me and just I just saw the the passion of uh, how much the game is loved in the school and it was so contagious that for me as well I just fell in love with the game and yeah I think from there the, the rest was history. I love that and and the whole idea is 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 again for us to try and inspire that next generation and realize that everybody came from somewhere small and is now somewhere big and and obviously having that family behind us. Do you have any siblings and what do they do and what sports were they into growing up? Yeah, um, I've only got sisters. So my dad and myself, we were the two dudes in the house uh, before my eldest sister got a uh, a son as well, and then we were three. Yeah, my sister's one is, I think, 40 now. The other one is um, 33, 32, and then 
it's me, I'm 30, and then my youngest sister is 27. So three girls, I'm the only, I'm the only son. I, I guess that's why I was so keen to get to boarding school, just to leave the girls and, and uh, get out of the house. Well, I always say I got my speed from my older sister because I'd, I'd, I'd typically antagonize her and then she would come, come running. So is that how you learn how to be deceptive? And chase and run fast. <laughs> <laughs> I teach you a lot. Uh, you'll be you'll be surprised. All the all the fights around the house growing up. And, uh, just trying to get out of trouble. Shakesy, let's talk about Dale College, right? So really small world. My grandfather went to Dale. My father went to Dale. I was there. So B standard one, standard two, and then my family moved back to uh, Cape Town, where 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 I was born and where we grew up. But my yeah. father's family was all there, and and in King Williamstown when it was called that still. Uh, so let's go to Dale. Let's talk a bit about you know you mentioned the coaches and and that sort of thing. Uh, I believe you you played a, a lock at first. Go, tell us a bit about that story because you surely must be the fastest lock in world rugby. <laughs> I actually played lock while I was still in McClear. So while I was actually clueless about what I'm actually doing as well. You know, I was the coach. I think he was more clueless than I was with all respect because I mean, in a small town like McClare, you just want the kids to stay out of trouble. That's all. And you just put whatever team together and whatever shape or size of the player, you make it fit. And um, I guess my shape and my size fitted in the lock position and that's that's where I found myself couldn't care less I mean you never even had a game plan but you just threw the ball around and just ran for the try line and I definitely wasn't the fastest I'm sure uh, but at Dale it was it was pretty special uh, I'll say that's where life started to open up for me you know I think the biggest thing was being introduced to the game of rugby and um, learning so much more about it. I, I mean, I never even watched the 1995 World Cup, which is something big and special for a lot of current Springboks and ex-Springboks. So I really got into the game at Dale and I played under 15s, 15Bs. I played third team, second team, first team. And yeah, I think my there's two coaches that I, I, I definitely... One I mentioned, and one was my second team coach, Gordon Ephraim, and he's um, he's coaching at a different school now, and still keeps in touch. Um, he he he's one of the first coaches that backed me and and uh, gave me so much confidence in myself as a person and a player. But I have mostly uh, the biggest contributor to my career as a schoolboy was uh, my first team coach, Grant Griffiths who's still at Dale. Um, he's not the first team coach, but he's uh, heading things up in terms of sports there. And you might know him, you might remember him. We played in 92, I think, or 93 for Dale. Um, yeah, just a hell of a human being. Just He took us like his own sons. You know, we, it was, for me, it was six hours to get back home every weekend. Every, all the boys at hostel would leave. And that's that's the man I would, I would spend the weekend with. And he'd speak into my life and just, Give me so much confidence in in who I was as a person and a player, and uh, most most importantly, just got me in love with the game of rugby. And um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I boosted my self esteem and just made made sure that he made me realize the talent that I have and and uh, the opportunities that are uh, uh, in front of me, and that I can literally just go out there and grab them. So. Uh, Coach Ephraim, uh, Gordon Ephraim and Grant Griffiths, those are the two. And um, yeah, I think Dale was a special place and 
I think there's a lot of uh, other uh, great players that come out of there, um, including Dallin. but but you're so right about the role models and the mentors that you know provided us you know everything we needed as young kids growing up and i I think um, you know a lot of the south african schools had brilliant quality uh, teachers and coaches and what was funny back then in the day it was your teacher would coach your rugby team as well where i know you know in the US, u.s it's a bit different and i don't know what it's like in canada robin but you have specialized coaches that come in to do the sports but your math teacher could be your first team rugby coach and stuff like that so we all had some great ones but you mentioned the players come through. We only got better at Ronnebosch in my in our latter years when we had Gubani Bobo and Aginga and Samora Sawindler. All three were playing at Dale, and I think they got into trouble there. And then they left Dale and came to Ronnebosch, and that's when we started to excel. <laughs> <laughs> now I think I think um, I think they also learned a lot from Ronnebosch. I mean, that's also a great school, you know. Um, there's a lot of players, including them, that come out of Ronnebosch, and one of my teammates, Zane Davids. Yes. He's also um, that, ca- coming out of that school. So really great school. And um, yeah, I can imagine how uh, Bob's and, and, and the boys have contributed to, to the school as well. And it's funny that Bobo's doing a lot of the broadcasting now and Hanyani Shimangi too, who was a year ahead of us. So we yeah. had a few Ronnebosch Ron voices. Uh, so our English teacher must have done something right as well. <laughs> no, for sure, for sure. <laughs> and when did you realize you had a gift that you had some speed and and you were on a certain trajectory with with rugby? When I was in primary school, I had a close mate of mine. His name was uh, Atumil. He played Craven Week when he was he played Craven Week under thirteen when he was eleven. He played Craven Week under thirteen when he was twelve, and he played Craven Week under thirteen when he was thirteen. So he played three straight years and. Growing up next to him, he was basically my best friend. We played in the same teams at school, but I never got to achieve any provincial colors like he did. Yeah, he was rugby mad and they were crazy about rugby at his home as well. Dad was in the department of sports. So what he achieved at such a young age, just uh, that's what I always wanted to do as well, just to at least achieve provincial colors. And it never happened for me. I went to Dale. I played 15 Bs, I played third team. And in grade 11, I was almost like, I was 18 in grade 11. So that was literally my last opportunity to make a Craven Craven Week side or play at at a provincial level. And I played trials that year and I was almost giving up on the game of rugby until, because I didn't make that Craven Week side nor the Academy Week side in 2010. So it was until a player got injured in the academy side who was playing off the bench as well. So they were like, yeah, let's let's give this guy a chance. So I got my opportunity then. And how it works in South Africa at, at, at the Craven Week and Academy Week, I played in the Academy Week. The, the, the bench and the reserve guys, they, have, they get to play the first game. And then the second day at Craven Week or Academy Week, the the guys, the starting players that were selected to start, they, they get the opportunity. So the first game, I got my shot and um, I was like, here's my opportunity. I'm playing Academy Week. This is all I've dreamed about. And I think that's where things kicked off for me. Great tournament. I ended up playing all the games, played uh, SA Under 18 end of that year, and then got opportunities at provincial level to play for uh, local teams and um yeah, I, I could have gone straight to the sevens as well, but I took a, a different route because of 
my, my mom basically said, whatever you do, you still have to study. So went to Port Elizabeth, played for the Kings where I could still be at the university. That year for me was like when I was, I realized that I can actually do something on the field and the team could rely on, on, on me, you know. It was just great to be part of a team, you know, and to, and to be able to share those moments with the team and guys that are unbelievably skilled and have such pace and so many different attributes. And to put that together, it was so enjoyable. And I think that's where things kicked off for me. And, um, yeah, I never looked back since. Yeah, Shakes, let, let's go to that. You know, so Super Rugby, obviously, is a young South African. You watch Super Rugby. It's like the ultimate. You got a chance to play that early in your career. Tell us a bit about that experience. And you mentioned that level up. So what was it like then? You representing the Southern Kings, I think, at that time, right? Yeah, we yeah. The, the Southern Kings got their first call up to Super Rugby level in 2013. And I was fortunate enough to be part of that team as well. So it was daunting. It was scary. I was, I was 21 years old. We were doing well at the academy under the Kings Academy under 21s and uh, myself and Sergio got the opportunity, Sergio Peterson, to to go play uh, at, at the at the highest level, so to call it. Yeah, yes, it was it was so different. I mean, as I said, very daunting. I remember I played against Brian Abana at uh, Newlands and that was like the scariest game I've ever played in my whole life. I was a kid and I knew all about Brian. He was my role model. He was my hero growing up. I I think most wingers in South Africa aspired to be the next Brian Abana. And um, I was so intimidated, but that just went great. I mean, the Kings, they also didn't have a bad run that year. We, we enjoyed a couple of good contests. We never really had a lot of victories. However, it was just something special and something different to have and to be part of. And yeah, it was, it was just, a, 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 it just, I just realized there again that there's just no limits. You know, you can, you can just go to the next level. You can just keep going and aspiring to play at whatever level that you dream to play at. And a lot of South Africans growing up, their dream is to put on the green and gold. And for me, that was just, a, that's what I was pushing for. And uh, yeah, it was so special. Ended up with seven caps in the, for Super Rugby, and um, that earned me and an, an, a call up to the Blitzbox as well. Yes, exactly. Now, before we get to the Blitzbox, obviously Brian Abano, uh, you know, a rugby legend throughout the world, not just in South Africa, more dangerous than climate change, if you will. Now, so that's definitely a highlight for you for sure. Now, you also got a chance at a young age to play against Wales. They were touring South Africa at the time. You take us back to your memories of playing, you know, against big international position. Yeah, that uh, that was also a great opportunity, and you you went out there on the field looking to just make a statement. You know, you're playing an international side, and it was something different. And for that for that side as well, it was it was um, world class players that were were playing there. You know, and lucky for me, I actually got to score a try in that game. So it's great memory, and it's such a an, an impeccable venue the Nelson Mandela Bay Stadium. I still think it's one of the best stadiums we have in South Africa, even though we don't use it that much. But yeah, I think Wales were a good contest. And I said, we were we were still more in a building phase with the Kings at that time. But I, I think we gave Wales a good run and it was just a great brand of rugby that we played at the time as well, even though it wasn't winning rugby, but uh, very enjoyable. 
and yeah, it's it's just great memories uh, living it again today and just looking back at such opportunities. Um, I'm so grateful and um, yeah, I look back and um, I'm actually I'm actually happy to have created such memories. Yeah, and as you said, getting over the trial line always very special against the big opponent as well. That's that's a great memory. No, for sure. I think it was actually an overlap, but uh, I think looking back. <laughs> Don't tell anybody here. Back. It was a 110 meter effort. You beat 14 people on <laughs> way to score. <laughs> yeah, looking back and just thinking, okay, no, you played Wales in international side, and just reminiscing about it, you always. You always say, okay, at least I dotted down there in that game. <laughs> Let's switch gears to sevens. And uh, prior to your 20, sorry, 2013 call-up to the Blitz, Blitz box, did you play any sevens when you were growing up and how were you spotted? It's something that's only getting into the schools now, the game of sevens. Uh, but for me, we played the 15s game. And then from there, we, we only played sevens towards the end of the year. And that was the only opportunity where you... And it was never even like a taken seriously. You would have guys who, pray, who played prop in 15s and they would they would just head over and join the sevens game as well towards the end of the season. Uh, there was a, a, a tournament called the Atlantic Sevens that always used to happen after that, um, after that uh, year-end season where with a selected team from, that, from the sevens competition at the end of the year from the schools, and then the, that Atlantic Sevens would happen, and then the schools will come against each other there, and then they'll that'll be all the Sevens games that you play in the whole year, and then that was it. But I always knew playing in school that I wanted to play uh, Sevens. Yeah, it was just so exciting and a different, a different brand of rugby that wasn't traditional in South Africa, and yeah, I, I just always knew that I wanted to play and. I had the option to to play sevens immediately, but as I said, I think education was to be able to go to university. That that was something that uh, my parents look wanted me to do, so I took that option. But I think while I was still at the Kings as well, I I kept uh, throwing that line to the to the to the national side and almost begging for an opportunity and working hard towards that. And um, yeah, eventually I. I moved from sevens in high school, a bit of fifteens after school, and then in 2015, end of that year, moving to Stellenbosch to play a bit of sevens. And what was it like when you got fully immersed into the Blitzbox environment and committed to sevens? It was very different, and it's actually something that I've never experienced in my life before. It's a place that's pretty hard to move away from, and I think our is a great testimony to that. Um, it was it was a hard decision for him to make, but a decision that had to be made. But yeah, for me, moving to a place where the standards are so high, the cul- the culture is it's embraced so much, and yeah, it's just. And I've been I've played in teams where there is culture and there's culture talks but never been to a place where the culture is lived out so much, you know, and the standards are just so high and yes is yes, no is no, you know, a group of great human beings that work so hard to achieve great things. So 
yeah, it was something different for me and a learning curve, uh, personal development as a person, as a player, as a leader. So, yeah, it was just a, almost a, a, a learning journey and, 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 and the journey of development and growth. And that's what it's been. And as I said, it's, it's, just a, it's just a tough environment to move away from. And how would you describe the Blitzbox culture and environment on and off the field? I'd say we have a, like a, a culture of hard work, a culture of honesty. There's, 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 there's different values that the team lives up, lives up to and um, there's certain standards and protocols that are in place. Uh, one of the pillars is family, and that's what we that's what we try and live out to the best of our ability, just to be a bunch of brothers off the field and uh, coming on the field. That's that that makes things easier to be able to almost almost die for each other on the field and work so hard on the field for one another. Off the field, it's just all about um, representing and being ambassadors of, of, of the Springbok Sevens badge and being ambassadors of the country on the field. It's, yeah, it's all about the hard work. It's, uh, we actually have, we actually have a, a team ID that we want people when we run on the field to identify us um, with, you know. So it's almost boxes that we make sure that we tick in order to, in order to feel that we were successful in that performance. And we, we never talk about winning. We, if, we are, if we've ticked all those boxes in that team ID, then we feel like we're successful, you know. And if we've lost the game, then the better team won on the day. So that's, that's just the culture of the team. That's mostly what it looks like off the field and, and, and on the field as well, just a... A bunch, a bunch of. We also have themes. One of one of our uh, themes for the Olympics were being being a bunch of wild dogs. I don't know how much you follow the wild the wilds, but um, yeah, wild dogs. They they hunt together as a team, and wild dogs are the most successful hunters as as a pack. And uh, wild dogs, they share. They they share. They uh, they prey. They take turns to to tire the prey. They strategize to bring the prey down, and those are the those are the kind of things that almost drive and 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 yeah, the, the things that drive the culture. Just to make sure the boys are always looking forward to something different, and um, yeah, making sure you living out that culture and out on the field. I actually do know about the Wild Dogs because I was the head coach of the Cape Town Wild Dogs last year in the Rugby Tens Championship. So I actually learned quite a bit about the dogs. And we had a bunch of Wild Dogs in the team, women from across the world, from Brazil to Mexico to Portugal and, uh, and, and, and South Africa. So that was, that was fun tapping into that and coach a women's professional side in the USA called the Loonies, which are crazy. So wild and crazy kind of describes me, but um, I, I love that kind of, we talk a lot about wolves, Canada um, and the way wolves hunt and the sea wolves, which is the orcas, the, they hunt like wolves. Um, so we use a lot of those metaphors as well up here. But what I, what I liked what you talked about is you don't talk about winning 
And I heard actually last night I was traveling from a, uh, doing my coaching masters through sport Canada. So traveling across Canada late last night. And I was listening to this interview with this gentleman, gentleman, Graham Reed, who's a legendary Australian field hockey coach, or as people say, outside of Canada, a hockey coach. And he works with India currently, and he's developed a system with his team that if they follow their game plan, they, when they, you know, the score could be like, Blitzbox could have lost 15-5, but as far as their point system goes, they actually like outscore their opponents 100 to, to 10 based on the things that they were focused on. And so for me, when I coached uh, Mexico at the 2018 World Cup, how I measured success was, you know, uh, different from how a lot of other teams, maybe, you know, the Black Ferns measure success against us. They beat us 40 odd to nothing, but, you know, we actually didn't turn over, uh, you know, a breakdown. So we got points for that or uh, every restart that we received, you know, we, we got point, we, we didn't turn over one of those. So it's just all about those measurables. So, you know, I was saying, saying to Dallin before we, before we got on the call with you, just about Fiji winning the world cup, you know, they're treated like Kings, but had they finished second, you know, there's no, there's not, there's nobody waiting for them at the airport. And, but the, at the end of the day for the team, as far as what you can and can't control. And obviously we know the world series is the most ruthless, ruthless arena in the world. Um, as far as the bounce of the ball goes, but yeah, I, I love that insight in, in your blitz box program. I'm not talking about wins, but talking about, you know, the measurables and what you guys are focused on and, and uh, as well as obviously the, the culture piece. And yes, as yeah. a, as a, as a fan and supporter and, and, uh, and someone that's played against the, the blitz box and, and coached against the blitz box, you can see like the energy and the focus. You, you do look like a pack when you're on the field. So thank you for sharing that piece. Uh, thanks a lot. And I mean, winning, it, it can also be a distraction, you know, and sometimes when you're not winning, when you're not winning, that's a frustration for you to just try to get to that point of at least doing well and winning, you know, but you have to go through certain processes in order to get to that win, you know, and it's just everything is a step at a time in those processes to reach a end result you know and uh, and we we also talk about chasing perfection with those processes so everything just needs to be perfect and we say we chase perfection and if we if we if we don't reach a perfect game at least we will hit excellence so that's that's how we look at things and it's, it's gone well for a couple of seasons so i think it's it's a uh, the method and the strategy that's actually been good for for the team. Yeah, Shakes. Let's let's delve into that. the The process sounds pretty fascinating and amazing. You were part of a, you know a legendary Blitzbox squad that won back to back series titles, twenty seventeen and twenty eighteen. Uh, Robin mentioned, and we know how hard the series is to win the series. You have to be so consistent throughout the year. You can't just win a couple of tournaments anymore. So a lot lot to unpack there. You know. So when you look back to those those teams and the coaches and the group you had. To, to win on the HSBC World Series, what do you think was different about your team if you had to compare it to the opponents you played against? I think first and foremost, foremost, it was just a great bunch of rugby players, you know, really talented individuals and um, just great players, you know, good people as well. I mean, in that squad, we had uh, Sabelo Senatla, um, we had Carl Brown, Philip Sneiman, Kwaja Smith was still there. 
Rwanda was in the frame. Cecil Africa was uh, doing great things. I just think it was the. It's always about buy in 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 everything that how the players buy in, and that group was so focused on just contributing to the success of the Springbok Sevens. And we also something that we talk about that is that we it's never about the player, but it's it's always about the system, you know. And 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 again, I think that that was different for for that team in that season and against the opponents that we played against. It was just always about the system, putting the system first. How can I serve the system? And having such talented individuals, great players, and good human beings that we had at the time and people that were just willing to sacrifice so much for the team and for the for the system for the badge it just all came together and yeah i think that's that's what made that team very special and different yeah it's always fascinating to track back and have a look at you said the makeup of the different teams and let's look at this past season because it was a roller coaster ride for any fan yes. watching the Sevens World Series outside of supporting individual countries, for the first time, we went to the final tournament in Los Angeles. Four teams could have won it. I mean, you had Fiji, you had Argentina, Australia, and, of course, your side as well. So talk us through that. Your nine tournaments, of course, you started off like a house on fire, winning the first four, but it was so much drama, and we ended in Hollywood as well. But can you touch on the season? Because I know South African fans, of course, that watched and supported you guys were also wondering, you know, what happened? And did the other teams get better, or did something happen within the squad? Those kind of questions, obviously, were, were definitely raised. Yeah, no, I think we really had a good start to the season. I think we really had a great preseason, having uh, fresh players coming in, so many individuals making their debuts in the same season. So I think we really had good preparation coming into the season, uh, which is always great because you have your base of conditioning and um, you have so much opportunity to have team buildings and just to grow closer as a group. And as I said earlier, families, everything, and just that closeness of the individuals in the system, not only the players, but including players and management and, and coaches and players. So that's that's very important. And then, yeah, the talent of these guys, it's, it's just something that just is always there. Like the skill level is so great. And the the academy system of the Blitzbox, I must mention, is a great feeder system to to the Blitzbox, and um, that's that's where the players are scouted, and that's that's where they earmarked Maris Kuman and, and the current coach Sunil Normal. They they earmark those players at a school level already, and some of the players who are playing at a Curry Cup level or a 15s level, they also get earmarked and scouted and, and brought into the frame through the academy where they keep developing until they get onto the world stage. And when they do, it's almost a seamless transition. But coming back to the season, I think, yeah, it was, we hit the ground running in Dubai. And I must say the teams did get better, for sure. I know all the teams, they, they're very competitive. And part of that competitive spirit is analysis on the game so they watch your games they watch the different um, strategies that you throw out there and try to counter that you know I, I know I know all the countries do that and uh, yeah it was just different combinations I think also played a factor for us you know you you have such consistent selection protocols and having almost a base of players that start your games and start your tournaments 
and then you have tournaments where a different group has to start those tournaments or a different individual in a certain position has to slot in and and offer a different combination for the team so a lot of that you know it it it, it plays play, it plays a role in in how things flow in the tournament so i think in some tournaments it really went well with a player just slotting in seamlessly however in, in others it was just almost like oh we still have to get these these players just to work well together you know and this team that's been selected for this tournament just to gel well you know and i must say i think there was a lot expected from going 36 games on the trot from the supporters from the media the fans and the world at large you know and you you never know if that's something that plays in a player's head within the within the team or approaching a certain tournament but i think the main thing is is just how how incredible and how competitive the hsbc world seven series is and um how teams like canada have improved immensely and we've we've played a couple of times against them this season and and i'm sure you've 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 commented on those games and it's just been such a contest teams like fiji new zealand having not played for a couple of tournaments i believe it it actually gave them so much hunger just to just to catch up it gave them a challenge to to come back on the scene and to almost to face that challenge head on you know and to just show that they also a nation and a country to be reckoned with um i think that really fueled their fire new zealand came back onto the circuit and they they were keen to go and they it, it just showed that they the time away and the time they spent as a group worked in their favor a lot and i think something else that people forget i know we did well for a couple of tournaments but some of the players they actually experienced a loss like the first time that losing streak happened that was the first time that the players had lost in a springbok jersey so it was something different for them and it was something that they had to navigate around you know because okay for them and they and they they are players that played one or two tournaments so or three or four so after three or four tournaments you're like okay this is what a tournament looks like i go there i play win all the games successful lift the trophy go so now randomly you just get shot Achilles heel you 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 get up your first loss it's something you have to navigate around so and you know that it was not a challenge but it was a, a great learning curve and a, and a, and a task as as leaders of the team to be able to work around such things and yeah so very interesting season and as you said and as everyone knows very inconsistent up and down but um really competitive on the world stage and as you said again talent just getting to LA and uh, having so many teams potentially winning the the circuit was was truly special and hopefully this upcoming season offers uh, the same Yeah, I mean, you couldn't have written a better script for that at all. You know, as a as a fan watching, as a broadcaster involved in the game, you want that. You want every game to be meaningful. And I know it's sometimes a cliche. People say there are no easy games. Well, there aren't these days, and that's the amazing thing. You know, like you saw in LA against Wales. Wales hadn't been South African a decade, 
and they yeah. pulled out a brilliant game. And that's the that's why, you know, in North America, it's so exciting to have sevens as such a, a top sport because anything can happen in 14 minutes. If you happen to be off your game, you can beat anybody. And I just want to touch on that one point, though. So your Commonwealth gold medal champions, you guys took out Fiji in the final, South Africa did 31 points to seven, an unbelievable effort, you know, and then it's tricky because to be consistent, neither Fiji were consistent because they never won that tournament, but they won the, the, the sevens world cup. But let's go back to the Commonwealth games because that was probably the, the amongst the best display. I think South African fans have seen in, in, in a Blitzbach Jersey, you've navigated the roller coaster. That was the series of course, but take us back to that special event. And obviously, you know, your relationship working with Neil Powell, tell us a bit about that as well. Yeah, I think that was one of the best pre-tournaments preparation that we've had. And we get a lot of confidence from our preparation, you know. So we love that. We we enjoy the process, as I said, just um, banging away and just going through the strides of what's expected in that camp. So it's always different. Again, this, the format of, but that's all coaching and management department but i think we really really worked hard we prepared well we spent time as a team for most of that camp that's something that's very beneficial to just be amongst each other and spend and spend um, time amongst each other as a group you grow so much closer and that prep was just so almost close to perfect and then going into into birmingham playing at coventry everything just came together and you take so much confidence from the hard work that went in at home and in those camps and you feed off of that you use that confidence and um yeah i think coach coach neil is a true leader who led that and spearheaded that preparation and that's that's what he's been doing is his, his his whole campaign with the with the blitz box and his whole career with the team so that's just the kind of individual that he is so good to work with him and such a great uh, leader. And I always make an example of how he leads by his actions and, and, and not by his words. You know, he'll, he'll be the first guy to do the dirty work that needs to be done. And, you know, going on tour, there's, you need to pack the bus and he's the first person down there at the bottom, packing the bags of the players and making sure that everything is checked out on the management uh, traveling luggage. So the values that 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 he lived by, you know, as a human being, those are inspirational. Those are values that most of the players uh, look up to. And um, he always ensured that we become better people before we we are better players. And that's one of his slogans that he believed in that. Better people make better players. Yeah, it was it was it was such an honor to work with him, and I know he's achieved so much as a player and as a coach. I think it's a big loss for the system, but really excited and looking forward to the next. Call it a new era of a new coach and a new uh, players coming through as well. So um, yeah, I think Birmingham was a dream, and um, everyone looks to go into a Commonwealth Games or Olympic Games to get a gold medal. And for us, it was just, just the perfect performance. 
Yeah, special special dude with Neil at the helm. And, you know, he's obviously been around for 15 years or so, and you've been a, a big part of his team for, for many years. So uh, it was really wonderful to see that moment and see you guys lift the trophy and, and get that gold medal. Fantastic work. Thanks a lot, Dan. It's uh, it's it's challenging, like post pandemic, as far as like different competitions for coaches and and you know the Olympics. There was so much build up for the Olympics last year for all the nations and and if it was going to happen, if it isn't going to happen, and it got delayed. And you know, as a coach, I talk about with lots of other coaches like pinnacle events, cook programs. They cook players. They cook they cook staff mentally. And for players and 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 coaches, I don't think a lot of people understand that. Like this year, you know, the Olympics a year ago, and you had a uh, obviously World Series events this year, so getting fired up. And then you have a Commonwealth Games, which is a major pinnacle event. It, for me, the Commonwealth Games I went to in 06 was the highlight of my career as a one-off, but then you have, then you have world series events. I mean, each world series events is, is almost like a pinnacle event uh, with a lot of travel. And then you have a world cup. So it's like, I felt you guys really peaked at the Commonwealth games and, and, and I'm, I'm obviously close with Bengali. And so I said, like, I think you guys, you know, New Zealand peaked in LA. I said, and you guys, I think are going to peak at the world cup and obviously a bounce here, there can go anywhere, but it's as a coach who looks at periodization and, and is planning for a year, like how do, you, how do you keep a team peaking at like three, four multiple pinnacle events within a month? Do you know what I mean? So it's a, it's, and players aren't robots, you know, and, uh, and there's a lot of challenges that go with that, but uh, yeah, just to circle up on the Commonwealth games piece, just watching you guys in that final it was like a master class Tiger Woods, like chipping, you know, chipping from a bunker and, and like the, the kicking display and the, and the connection you guys have for, for you guys running onto the ball. And it was, it was artistry. So I'm sure there's lots of athletes and coaches going to attempt all this stuff. Like after watching you guys put on a display, but none of us will be able to execute it. So, but uh, yeah, out of respect to you guys, like, you know, peaking and peaking and peaking and peaking, uh, is is very very challenging when when your bodies are are traveling and, and getting abused. Just segueing into obviously the the amazing Cape Town Rugby Sevens World Cup. Could you take us into that that final huddle on day three, with it being you know, obviously Neil's uh, final match as a as a for the Blitz Box and 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 what was that like as a journey and and emotionally for you guys as a as a family. I think firstly Fiji will definitely be able to pull off anything because they can they can pull anything out of a hat, you know. <laughs> it was it was really a, a tough tournament here in Cape Town. I mean, playing in Cape Town, firstly, there's always high expectations on the team, and uh, there's a lot of pressure on the team to do well. First and foremost, I think going into Cape Town is always something different. South African public the media, the supporters, they love their rugby and we, we are a rugby-loving nation and we're so passionate about the sport and we, we love winning so much. So um, it was always going to be a massive event and it being a World Cup to add on to that and, and a World Cup on your home soil, it, it was always going to be massive. So uh, we had obviously lost in, 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 on day two against Ireland in the quarters. And then we we had we had uh, two more games to go. And that last game against Samoa, we, we basically everyone knows the format. It was cutthroat, and 
you, we lost our game and so we were out. So and and then we had that last game to play, and we all knew that it's it's the last game that we were gonna play under Coach Neil. So it was always gonna be a massive game, and um, just to almost send him off. And um, yeah, so that game really went well, and the boys put their bodies on the line. We played the way that. We had a performance that we were looking for from day one already. We had a performance that we were looking to have throughout the whole World Cup and throughout the whole season, basically, at a consistent level. So it didn't happen. And I think Coach Neil did say that um, it's not always a fairy tale. I think with what you mentioned as well, that yeah, players aren't robots, you know, it's not always going to be perfect. And it wasn't, and it, it wasn't the ending that he would have wanted. It wasn't the ending that we we would have hoped for as well. But I think to send him off in that way was pretty special. And and I think that's that's the last game you always remember, and that that a lot of people remember as well. Just in that huddle, he was just grateful to be part of something special, something bigger than himself, and uh, uh, so grateful to to be able to stand in a huddle and have brothers around him that week in and week out, day in and day out, strive for something similar and something not even similar, strive for the same goal, you know. So that that was the gratitude that that came from the words that he articulated in that circle and obviously very emotional and, 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 and I don't blame him, you know. And we spent so many camps and so many pre-departure camps and tournaments together and yeah you 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 form a bond you 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 grow close and you, there's a player coach relationship all of that plays in your head and towards the end of the season and going into the world cup he started to realize that it's his last it's his last time flying to london it's his last flying to london with the blitzbox it's his last time having a captain's run. It's his last time doing a warm up. It's his last time running on next on next to the field and sending the players on the field. So there was a lot of loss that or of, of things that he did for the last time before he he wrapped up. And I think that's also what what made it a bit emotional to know that okay, this I will not do again. You know, and it's something that he holds so dear to. To himself, and yeah, I think just just a special message that he left with the players was just to just to play to the best of our abilities and potential as a group. Always, just to make sure that with all the games that lie ahead of us, with him in his in his absence, um, that we just play to the best of our ability and to our potential and that he'll continue following us and obviously keep in touch. And the other theme that we have in the Blitzbox culture is that you can leave the team, but you're always part of the family. So Coach Neil will always be part of the family. And um, yeah, we'll definitely, we'll probably be in Cape Town for the Cape Town Sevens, who knows? So He's always part of the family. We'll still, we still have his cell phone number. We're still in touch with him. So, yeah, a very special moment at the World Cup. And um, we were actually 
thrilled to be able to send him off with a win and the performance that we displayed out there for him. Yeah, Shakes, that was beautifully said by yourself as the captain. And it's kind of tricky. You know, as a player, you you don't always know when your last game is going to happen. You could be injured and you may not come back or you might not be selected or that sort of thing. But, you know, he knew as a coach coming up, that's probably, as you said, why I was so much more emotional. But I remember watching that last game at the Cape Town Stadium. And then afterwards, with his, his family was there. They jumped up the field with him. He gave each one of you, obviously, after that long huddle, a hug and tears were going down. And you share so much in the game of sevens because it's such a small group as well. Well, um, and you could see how tight you guys were as a family, and very happy you were able to at least send him off on on a big one uh, against that Samoan side there. Switching gears a bit now, we mentioned the two coaches you coming in as well, a new era, Sandile Ngobo and uh, Philip Sneiman leading the charge. Can you give us some words about them and what you expect they're going to bring to the program? Yeah, um, I played with both of them, both Philip and uh, and and uh, Coach Sticks. I think firstly, great individuals really great ambassadors of Springbok Sevens. I think those those two as players, they were the standard of what the culture of the Blitzbox was. You know, if you had people who lived out the culture, you would just look to them and 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 you would get it, you know. Unbelievable players. Philip was the captain um of the Blitzbox as well. He he actually was the captain before I was. So yeah, and I think when they stopped playing, they obviously invested a hell of a lot to just grow and, and, and learn so much more about the game. You know, they, they also were both captains and leaders in the side. So they, they already read the game at a high level while they were playing. And um, obviously there were hints that they would be great coaches one day, you know, and unbelievably happy to, uh, for their achievements, you know. And I think their leadership is just something that stands out. And I believe that they will take the baton over from Coach Neil and they'll they'll run even faster, you know. Something new, young and uh, exciting. Such hard workers as well, you know. Uh, Coach Dix is um, he's really passionate and such a hard worker. Loves it. a lot of analysis on the game, similar to Coach Neil. Those two got along in terms of that. Uh, shared so much about the game, great conversations. And Philly exposed himself so much more to the game, moving over to Germany and uh, giving himself the best chance just to grow as a coach and uh, making sure that um, he he's just at a level that will be required to be able to lead the Blitzbox as well. So we're looking forward to working with them. We've already had a camp this past week up in Middleburg, just getting away and having three objectives with that camp, having juniors that haven't tasted uh, the circuit level, just not necessarily to play on the circuit because it wasn't on the circuit, but for them to get game time and to play a bit. And then secondly, just to have seniors out there, the likes of Justin Hadult, who, who who's almost close to getting back on the field, who's been around the block as well, just giving back to the system and 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 uh, giving back to those players as well. And then thirdly, just team building, just to get away and to grow closer again as a group, you know, with our new coaches, and to just almost stamp it and seal it off that it's a start of something new. And it was it was great, and and we can already see 
the energy in the group, the synergy amongst players and the synergy with the coaches and players that is being created. The start of something special. So, yeah, I think really great individuals, great human beings, hardworking men, and really excited to work under them. Good Blitzbox fashion, fresh off a World Cup and a nonstop season already in camp and uh, fresh off the production line. You know, some players we've never heard of that are likely better than most of the players in the world. I can't wait to see them in action again. I mean, that's, <laughs> you know, players are definitely not not uh, robots, but whatever comes off the Blitzbox conveyor belt is just pure gold and so talented. So you guys definitely are doing something right. And and obviously, you know, what I've always seen, well, at least, at least since, you know, I remember, I remember in 2018, I was, I was at the Hong Kong sevens with the Mexican women and, and we finished before the men start. So I was in the stands watching and, and, uh, I believe you guys were at the Commonwealth games, like the, the blitz box were at the Commonwealth games. So they, they sent a young side to Hong Kong and they absolutely <laughs> tore it up. Like it was like almost every guy I think had never, they were all debutantes on the world series. And so they're thinking like, oh, it's their B team and a number of countries sent their B team, but yeah, it w- it didn't look like a B team. They absolutely tore it up. So that's, that's super exciting. Obviously with the amount of pinnacle events that's happened in the last 12 to 16 months uh, with obviously world cup, Commonwealth games and Olympics, uh, what does the future hold for you? Do we get a, do we get to see you carve it up for the next few years or, or what does that look like? I think in the beginning of the podcast, I, I touched on how special it is to be part of the group. And I can genuinely say that it's a system and a culture that you won't get anywhere else, not in 15s. I doubt if, if, if you get it anywhere else in the world. It's just something special. And for me, it's something that I still want to hold on to, you know, and obviously the roles will change. Um, there's young boys coming through. And um, and again, I'll I'll attest to what the system and the culture is all about. It's it's never about the player, it's never about the individual, but the system. So for me, looking to stay on, play a bit more on the on the world circuit, really enjoy playing at that level as well. I'm not sure if I'll play as much as Branko de Priya, those on almost a hundred caps now tournaments, but um, I'm still looking to push push through and. Um, just see what the new era looks like and uh, contribute uh, more to the jersey and to to the system. So, um, yeah, definitely this upcoming season, you'll be seeing me. I'm excited to start a fresh season after a, a tough year. Sevens rugby has been good and still enjoying it on the world circuit. Yeah, Shakespeare, I've got to get a few more one-liners for you ready. So let me start penciling them in. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, please, please. I'm looking forward to that. I'll, I'll do the thinking. I'll do the thinking Thank from now on. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So as we, we closed in the last few questions, we've got some favorites for you. You've obviously been around the World Series for a number of years. What would be your favorite Sevens venue of all time? I'll have to be biased, say Cape Town, but there's really great venues around the world, like Hong Kong. It's amazing to play there. It's good to play in Sydney. I always enjoy playing in, in Sydney. And um, the BC place in Vancouver is also one of uh, the good ones. But my favorite is Cape Town, South Africa. Picturesque Cape Town. I love it. And it's it's nice that how much the, the World Series teams have embraced 
<clears throat> sorry, embrace the Vancouver Sevens. I never would have thought as a kid or even as a player uh, that we'd ever host a World Series event. And uh, it's been amazing. And and obviously the Blitzbox lift the trophy just about every year uh, in Canada. So <laughs> so that's wonderful. And who would be your favorite Sevens team you've played against? Who's the one you respect the most and you get up for? Respect. <laughs> I think there's really competitive sides. Um, our rivals are New Zealand and Fiji. And I think those those two I'll 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 actually I'll answer and say it's it's New Zealand and Fiji. But again, it's so it's so competitive on the circuit. But I think New Zealand and Fiji are yeah Titanic Titanic matches. All right, now very difficult one for you. You have to name your South African sevens dream team. So Shakes, you can either choose players you played with or players you've watched as a youngster growing up. So you have to choose seven players. That make your South African Sevens dream team. Okay, I'll go loose head, Chris Dry, the up and coming commentator. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and hooker, I'll definitely say JC Pretorius, yeah. teammate of mine currently, tight head, Zane Davids, sweeper. <laughs> I'll put. I'll, it's a tough one when it comes to the playmakers, but. I'll say Roscoe Speckman at sweeper. And then 10, I'll I'll choose two if I'm allowed to do that. <laughs> okay, then who you got? I'll go Salvin Davids and Cecil Africa. Wow, yeah. And then at center, I will have to... Yes, this is, this is hard, eh? <laughs> <laughs> This is so hard. There's been so many great players coming through, and let me let me let me pick Farnakok. Yes, Farnakok, the lion, of course. Farnacock. And who and, and and who's your winger? <laughs> <laughs> um, Siabella Sonata. Oh, who came to watch you at Cape Town recently as well? Before he was playing, they carving it up. What a team! What a team! I think um, I think that the, the team has grown over the years, you know, and it was really hard to. There's legends in the game, yeah. and there's players like Mzondilistic who's been part of it, Fabian Juries, even our as current um, the previous assistant coach Renfred Dazal, who've contributed well. Maurice Kuman played as well, so it was hard. And there's legends like uh, Dusty Noble who go way back, you know, so. It was hard, but I really think the game has grown and most of the players should have should come from almost the uh, most recent and current players. Yes, I agree with you. Okay, now another tough task. The players you've played against on the Sevens World Series, you're going to choose a dream team from the opponents you've faced. Oh, my word. It gets <laughs> a bit tougher. Um, loose head, I will go James Rodwell. At hooker, I will go Phil Burgess, two English guys. <laughs> yeah, that's rare. Tight head. Actually, I changed my hooker. It's DJ Forbes. Oh, he just dropped Burgess. Damn it, he's out. He's out. He's gone. <laughs> Tight head. I will go with, uh, yes. Actually, not sure if you played loose head or tight head, but Nasoko, the Fijian. Sweeper. Jerry, two white. At fly half, 
I have to go with. It's always tough when it gets to the jockeys, eh? <laughs> the jockeys. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe we have, we haven't been named yet, Alan. Yeah, you can't you can't <laughs> select Robin or myself. That was sorry, I forgot to say that initially. <laughs> I was lucky enough not to not to have played against them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I'll come back for the fly off. Yeah, I think twelve would have to be Sioni Molia. Mm, so good, and Edwinga. Uh, Dan Norton. Yeah. Fly half, maybe I should. There's so many. Eh? There's so many. Let me just give it to Ravovo, the Fijian. Oh, wow. Yes. Well, that's a quality, quality team. Brilliant work. <laughs> Love it. I sure wish I had the luxury of having to name those kind of players in my in my team that I played with. I mean, I played against. I have like I think they're all in the Hall of Fame. The the guys we played against, but uh, playing with. No disrespect to my teammates, but we only had one athlete when I played. It was Dave Moonlight, John Moonlight's uh, older cousin. And he oh, would yeah. Uh, yeah he would go through a hole and we'd hope he'd finish because there's no way we were going to get there. So. Uh, <laughs> We uh, we had to try try you know and every time we scored we had to touch the ball like ten times um, but uh, no those are some class class legends like for me and and Dallin like our highlights are are not on the field it's it's off the field and you know you spend a lot of time together right you get some cabin fever from time to time but uh, what were some pranks that you and your teammates pulled on each other and and uh, what were some of your highlights <laughs> yeah yes I mean. I think when you have a bunch of guys together for such a long time, as sometimes our camps are, are up to four weeks, you know, so we're together for that long. And uh, when you get to tour, it's like an added excitement of being in a new country, getting getting away, you know, you're about to compete on the weekend. So, and your prep is pretty much done. You're just sharpening up where you only have like, a session in the morning and then pretty much the rest of the day off. So I think there's so much that the guys can get up to. Um, and I think the naughtiest guy that that has been part of this team while I was here was Kwaka Smith. And um, I actually, I'm throwing him into my dream team. Just <laughs> There it is. <laughs> before I forget him. <laughs> yeah, see, the one time we were in New Zealand, and I'll just, firstly, let me just name like a few pranks that, that, that I've seen in the team. So our physio, Hugh Everson, he's, he, I think his nickname should be Blue Cheese. He went through a phase where he took cheese and he just left it under the player's uh, pillows. So that, and he, rub, he actually rubbed it on the pillowcase so that when you move the cheese, you're still left with that stench in the room and you can't sleep. But since he's done that, the players have actually hit back and fired back on him. And sometimes they'll take sticky spray and spray stops. As he wakes up in the morning, he'll put them on and they'll pretty much be stuck to his feet the whole day. So <laughs> those have been hilarious to see him struggle to get that off his feet. And then on his way to the toilet, he thinks he's shooting straight into the basin, but 
sometimes the players take uh, cling wrap and just put it over <laughs> its, its seat. So he actually cannot see that there's actually a, uh, a seal where you can't actually pee into the toilet. And that's, that's, yeah, that's also crazy because he ends up messing all over the place on his shorts and pajama pants. <laughs> whatever that thing but um, I think the highlight, I think the guy sometimes you walk into your room and it looks like a tsunami just wrecked it. Sometimes you just, you went out downstairs for a meal or something and when you're back, it's like a tsunami happened. For no reason, they'll just flip your bed. Your clothes are all over the place, and you know it's just a it's just a disaster. But I think the highlight was when we were in in New Zealand, and Kwaha um, took a video of I don't know if people saw it or if it went out. He took a video of himself. He took a a scoop of Nutella, and then he took. <laughs> Made as if he took that out of his pants. And then in the video, walking into Chris Dry's room, he knocked he knocked into the room. And then Chris's roommate, who was Ruan at the time, Ruan now, opened the door. And then he went straight to Chris's bed and then smeared all of that Nutella on his bedding in, in his sheets. And then sent that video to Chris, and then on the group as well. <laughs> I think you had to be there to experience Chris Dry's rage and how furious he was with Quaka. But that was just a highlight for me and one of the funniest things I've ever seen. He was so upset. I think he did, if no one told Chris that that was just Nutella, he would have gone. Toe to toe with Quaha. Well, I heard, about. I heard, I heard. Chris Dry was the prankster in all the tours, so that's brilliant that Quaha got him back, and you guys were <laughs> on the inside joke of that. Unbelievable. <laughs> nah, for sure. Chris, Chris came up with all this tsunami stuff anyway, so he kind of deserved it. The problem is though, once you once you start that, it it never ends. Like you know, so and I would likely fire that physio because if the guys aren't sleeping, I would he would be, he'd be going home on the next plane. <laughs> Nah, for sure, for sure. He's uh, he's the energy of the group, and That's awesome. the boys enjoy having him um, on the on the on the tours as well. Uh, Shakes, brilliant. Now, last couple for you. We've got to let you go. But do you have a personal embarrassing moment? Anything rugby or non-rugby related? Um, yes. Um, <laughs> I think I've I've felt you always feel embarrassed, you know, when you when you. Um, when you're not sure of what to do and where to go sometimes coming in as a new player and maybe at the airport or whatever the case may be. But I think for me, I, I almost avoided those because I just, I, I don't get involved with pranks and all that stuff. You know, I stay away and um, yeah, I just, I just did my own thing. So yes, I really can't, I, I can't think of one right now. Well, you, you're the captain as well, so you've got to keep up that persona. So there, fair enough. We'll let you go. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. <laughs> All right. Uh, to wrap it up here, which is near and dear to my heart, what, what advice would you pass on to a young rugby player listening to this podcast, you know, who will strive to represent their country one day like you? What I 
always think of is you never, because I know it happened for me, like you never know who's watching you in what you're doing. So whether it's picking up litter that is in the premises of your sports facility, chucking it in the bin, that says so much about you as an individual, but we know all about that. But being on the field, you play as if, whether you're playing in a tournament like the one we played in last week in Middleburg, or you're playing at a World Cup in Cape Town, just making sure that you play your best game in that game. You know, and as Dallin said, like, you never know when it's your last game. So in every single thing that you do, I believe that just give it your best and strive to be on top of your game with each training session, with just being you as a human being. Just try to be the best version of yourself in whatever you do. And it speaks volumes to people that are watching and you never know who is watching you. So I always like to say that to the young boys and hopefully someone might uh, have an eye on them and, and, and select them for the national side. Excellent advice, Shakes. Excellent. Now, forget load shedding. Shakes always whoppy. He's electric 24-7. <laughs> Boom, we're out of here, my friend. Thank you so much for your time. Bloody brilliant to get your insight on what's been an unbelievable career so far. Lots more highlights to come, buddy, but uh, really, really cool to hear from you, Shakesy. Thanks a lot, Jens. I uh, appreciate you guys for having me on the show. Really enjoyed it. You're the band, my friend. We can't wait to see you in the series again soon. We'll see you in Hong Kong. Also, never stops talking, does Perenara, but I suppose that's the job of a scrum off. Set! He feeds. Five out from the own line. Satutu picks up, finds Jordan. Jordan skins one. Back to Hoskins Satutu. Here comes Perenara. Back on the inside. Barrett! Oh, not even Wes Craven could have directed that. It's frightening from the All Blacks. And Bowden Barrett gets a popular try in DC. Thank you for listening, you sleek sensations. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Rugby Hive Podcast and catch us on all the socials at Rugby Hive. We appreciate your support. Be safe out there and we'll see you soon. Yeah.